Hey everyone, welcome to the comeback edition of the Dean and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Joe, Trevor Lawrence's comeback last Saturday night may have been the greatest comeback I've ever seen in sports. When you think about all the circumstances that he had in the first half, the magnitude of the situation, and the fact that not only had he thrown four interceptions, he threw three interceptions to the same player in the first half. Three interceptions to Asante Samuel Jr., who maybe did something that I never even saw his dad do. I mean, he was so dominant in that first half. Uh, I mean, it may have been one of the, the coolest things I've ever seen a cornerback do with how much he dominated that first half. But the biggest story of that game is not what Asante Samuel did, but the way that Trevor Lawrence came back in the second half with while well, he threw four interceptions in the first half, three of which, of course, to Mr. Samuel. He threw four touchdowns in the second half with no picks, brought them all the way back from 27 points down, and got the Jags their first playoff victory in probably about five years. Yeah, I mean, that was a huge win for them, the way it transpired, just a tale of two halves, unlike anything we've ever really seen in NFL playoff history. And you look at the Chargers from their standpoint, they were a team that largely um, underachieved during the regular season. And what I mean by that is, obviously, they made the playoffs, but they were a talented roster, and they were expected to challenge uh, Kansas City in the division, and they lost to the division by three or four games. Um, won a lot of one, uh, you know, possession games this year. But then they came out, flexed their muscles in this game, and then they just completely blew it in the second half. Yeah, Joe, they really did. And, you know, there was a lot of questions, I think, that you had brought up about Brandon Staley's coaching style coming into this game and how he had, you know, he lost a lot of close games too. And there were a lot of questions about whether he was really the guy to get it done. He definitely didn't do himself any favors in this one. Um, but on the flip side of it, I was so impressed with Doug Peterson. He's a guy that, you know, a lot of people forget he won the Super Bowl with the Eagles. He came up with the Philly special, and then he got unceremoniously dumped. I mean, not the next season, but like two seasons afterwards, which was crazy to me based on the fact that I don't even think the Eagles, have they ever even won a Super Bowl before he won one? I think they had played in a couple, but they had never even won a Super Bowl before. And, um, you know, he – uh, They had never won a Super Bowl. I still – I still never received uh, a good explanation for why he was fired from Philadelphia. I mean, it wasn't even like they had a terrible of a season. I mean, they may not have been going to the playoffs, but it wasn't like they had a 4-12 and type season – or, uh, you know, 2-14, and 14, which, in my mind, if you're going to fire a coach who just won a Super Bowl, especially when you're a program that's never won a Super Bowl, it better be one of those complete meltdown seasons for you to justify me firing a guy like that. Yeah, I, I didn't get it. And I know that, you know, Philadelphia was the one seed this year in the NFC, but at the time, to me, it just wasn't justified. No. But what he did that really impressed me was, you know, they had this huge comeback. They're down by 27 points. They get this last touchdown where you could kick the extra point. you got a lot of momentum. Um, you know, your defense has played good in the second half. It's the safe move, but he is – I've got a quarterback that's got a lot of confidence. I think my defense will hold him. And even if I don't get this, then I think they'll hold him and I'll get the ball back. I want to win the game, and I want to show my young quarterback who is so talented but – 
who had such a rough go over in the first half, but has shown me so much grid and mox in the second half. I'm going to give it to you. And what did Trevor Lawrence do? He ran two yards up the middle and just strong-armed it and just, you know, put it right in there, got the two-point conversion. And I thought that was one of the best coaching moves I've seen in a long time. I'm a huge proponent of always going for it, uh, going for two when you're the team that's the underdog, when maybe you're a team that you think and you get to overtime, maybe they got a little bit better players than you. Um, I also like it when you just got momentum. And this was, to me, was one that was maybe not so much that the Chargers were the better team. They were the one that, you know, you wouldn't want to be in the overtime with. I thought this was, I'm just so impressed with my team. Just go finish the job right now. Yeah, I mean, don't stop now. You know, take, you know, the the opportunity right there when it presents itself. And, you know, to your point, uh, Lawrence rewarded him for that bold decision. Yeah. And, and just another reason in my mind that I think Peterson is a great coach and someone who never should have gotten fired by the, the Eagles. Absolutely. And Joe, I mean, I'm not. Uh, this is going to sound hypocritical. What I'm about to say, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to forgive all coaches that have won a Super Bowl because someone else in the AFC had won a Super Bowl before and was incredibly boneheaded in their coaching moves during a game. Uh, the Ravens came to play against the Bengals. Uh, not going to hate on John Harbaugh for the way he got his players up. But he did have what I thought was maybe one of the most unfortunate and, frankly, just terribly stupid play calls I've ever seen in my entire life that, frankly, decided the game. There was no question about it. It decided the game. And you got a backup quarterback in there in Tyler Hundley who has some of the similar kind of skill sets Lamar Jackson, not to the same degree. He can't throw it as well. And, of course, he doesn't have quite the elusivity that you have with uh, Lamar Jackson. But he's actually getting a lot of yards rushing, especially to the outside. And you look at he's got a possession. They're tied up. They're driving to take the lead at 24-17. to 17. He gets a 38-yard run, almost scores. And that was not the exception. That was not the exception of the rule. This had been happening for a while. He had been getting – he had scored a touchdown the previous drive, mostly with his legs, all with outside runs. And here you got this guy on the one yard line. He's, you know, the the Bengals defense is winded. He is killing them to the corners. And instead of doing just like what I talked about earlier about Texas A&M's mistake against Alabama, putting your fastest player out there to do the pylon route and just run straight for the sticks, he runs it right up the middle with a guy who's not a very tall quarterback, who's not someone that's like Trevor Lawrence where they're just going to bully their way in the end zone. We're not someone that's so small, maybe someone like a Kyler Murray, they're going to hide amongst all the players and get it in down low. He's a guy that's kind of a regular-sized quarterback and not really, you can tell, wasn't as strong to do this. He holds the ball out there like a breadbasket. Of course, he gets knocked out. He's not even close to in the end zone. Then, boom, uh, Brian uh, Hubbard returns it for 100 yards. And instead of the Ravens going up 24-17, to 17, suddenly they're losing 24-17. to 17 and there's no more points scored the rest of this game, and this play decides the football game. Yeah, that was insane how that transpired. And I think back to any time I've seen quarterbacks do the, you know, try to break the plane, put the ball up there, you know, for grabs where it's such a risky move, I don't like to see a quarterback do that also unless they, they're used to doing that during the regular season. Like I've seen mm. guys like Drew Brees and Tom Brady – throughout their career do that sometimes in the regular season. And so 
I'd be more comfortable with him doing that in the playoffs. I've also liked that decision better when it's more of like a desperation move where it's like we can't do anything else. So this is like a last resort. But instead, it seemed like that was their preference over some better options. Now, Joe, I feel like there was any myriad of options available to him. Uh, I think that what I said for sure would have scored. But the way that Bengals defense was winded, had no momentum whatsoever, the strength of it was all on the inside. And, I mean, Mark Andrews was having just an amazing game. You could have also just faked a run up the middle and done a done a jump pass to Andrews. That would have that wouldn't have been stopped either. And there was a lot of options available to him. And you know, you're right. Quarterbacks that are used to it will do the quick, you know, put it over and come back because you can break the plane of the goal line and that's a touchdown. It doesn't matter if the ball, you know, when it, you bring it back and they knock it out. Now on a first down, yes, I mean they, that that can make a difference. But you could tell that he wasn't used to that because he didn't even like just try and bring it back in. He was just holding it there and just leaving it out there for someone to knock it out. And I mean, everyone who watched football for a little bit knew two seconds into that play it was going to get struck. Mm-hmm. Right. Very problematic there. I know the Ravens. Uh, some of his teammates were really frustrated, you know, with that play sequence. Uh, J.K. Dobbins very outspoken with his frustration. And if you're the Ravens, I know that you were playing with house money to such a degree going into that game because you were playing the team that was supposed to beat you and you were without your quarterback. But when the game plays out like that, you know, a career in the NFL is only so long. And so that, that was definitely a huge missed opportunity. Well, I mean, Joe, it was a, it was a rivalry game. The Bengals and the Ravens is one of the better rivalries we have in all of the NFL, very fierce division, uh, division rivals. Um, their defense had played out of their mind and limiting Joe Burrow to only 17 points. I mean, it's weird to, to think of a game that was close like this where Joe Burrow had virtually no impact on it. And that was because of the way the Ravens played. I mean, they were excellent. They were getting pressure on him a lot. And they played well enough to win this game. And this is a game that comes down to John Harbaugh and his play calling, fair and simple. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, definitely disappointing for them. Um, you know, they'll have to, to think about that all offseason, especially with how well their defense played, to your point. And then now Cincinnati will uh, advance to set up just an epic uh, matchup against uh, Buffalo this, this weekend. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, Joe, we'll talk about that one in a little bit. Um, you know, definitely uh, the, the, the last thing I want to say about that game is how bad I feel for Tyler Huntley because – I think he had done a lot during that game to increase his value to potential suitors. Um, if he had gotten that win over Cincinnati, and there's a lot of teams that maybe you know didn't have the first round draft pick uh, necessity for a quarterback, but maybe they needed someone that could be a stopgap for a year, uh, being someone that could either be a starter. Or you could have him on the bench, and if your starter went out, maybe you could feel free to let him have the reins the rest of the season. And he maybe could have been like a Matt Flynn-type pickup where he would have had a lot of value in the offseason. And I think that just the that play in, you know, it, is going to haunt him, and maybe it's going to hurt some of the chances he would have had if they had done any other play and they had scored the touchdown and won that game. Yeah, it was largely an audition start for him. And I think that even the Ravens might have considered him because there's some question about the status as far as whether Lamar Jackson is going to want to be traded or go somewhere else in the offseason. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely think so, too. And, I mean, he he definitely had the support of his teammates. He was playing a great game. And, unfortunately, a decision that you could tell was something he wasn't comfortable with is going to be what cost him. Right. Absolutely. Um, Joe, speaking of uh, of costing, uh, what a huge loss by the Vikings and one that I just kind of came out of left field there in a place where usually things don't cost much in playoff time. I mean, I feel like the Vikings are a very good home playoff team. Maybe I'm jaded in this opinion because I think of the New Orleans Saints going up there and losing in tragic ways every time the Saints played them up there. But I do feel like that's a great home field advantage. And the Giants in their first season with a new coach have just played such good football, especially to end the year. And, you know, I I thought the Vikings would win, and I thought the Giants would put up a good fight. And I wasn't going to be shocked the Giants won. But what did shock me about this was the fact that the Giants, I thought, really looked looked like the better team from the opening kickoff and kind of controlled the game throughout the entire way. They really did. Um, Saquon Barkley, just unbelievable performance. Daniel Jones uh, displaying a dual-threat versatility we did not know that he possessed. No clue. And I think that this is the type of win that you almost feel like is to be a catalyst for them to make a long or deep playoff run. Um, it felt like more than, you know, just one week. Like, it didn't seem fluky with how comfortable and dominant they were. And on the flip side, if you're Minnesota, I think this is potentially a franchise-altering loss. And what I mean by that is, I mean, I don't know how many better chances they're going to have to make it to a Super Bowl. I mean, mm. we, I know they finished third in the uh, – but when you've got the 49ers with, um, you know, uh, Mr. Irrelevant, you know, seventh-round quarterback – and then, you know, Jalen Hurts kind of coming back um, with the Eagles, you had a golden opportunity to, to contend for a Super Bowl appearance, and it didn't happen this year. You know, I, I don't know when they'll get a better chance. Well, Joe, they had the most experienced quarterback in the NFC in the playoffs. How weird is that? With no Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs, suddenly Kirk Cousins was sitting in there, and he was the old man in the room, the old grizzled veteran who has done it a bunch of times. I mean, you had Jalen Hurts, you had Brock Purdy who – no one thought would take a snap this year entering to into his sixth start. Um, you know, and and there wasn't a whole lot of and Daniel Jones in what a second full season as a starting quarterback with the Giants. And Kirk Cousins definitely was the man to beat in this playoff, the one who knew it the best. And now he's sitting at home. Yeah, and just such great players around him, you know, with uh, Justin Jefferson having such a, a great year and it looked like they had a, a, a great chance. And now we're left with a playoffs with shockingly where I think the oldest quarterback is Dak Prescott at 29. <laughs> that is very strange. Um, you know, something else I wanted to mention too that impressed me about the Giants was the fact that they were able to overcome uh, a huge mistake by Darius Slayton. Of course, you know, everybody knows how big of an Auburn fan I am that watches the show that I went to school there and work with the team uh, Darius Slayton is someone that I've really liked. I mean, I saw him in person get the first touchdown in the 2017 game where Auburn beat up on Georgia and probably the most satisfying game I've ever watched. And he was having a pretty good game uh, throughout most of it. And with the chance to ice the game at the end, 
Uh, it was about third and 15. Now, he would have had to run to get some extra yards, but it definitely looked like he had a clear field ahead of him. He dropped a really easy pass. And, of course, you can see the frustration on his face. Um, I was really – I really liked the way the coach responded. You know, in the NFL, a lot of times you'll see them keep their distances from people that had a, a rough time or even just be outward, outward rude to them because it's professional sports saying, how could you do this? But he was very consoling to him uh, when you could see that Slayton was really upset. And credit to the Giants' defense, even though that mistake happened and they gave the ball back to the Vikings, they shut him down, and I don't think the Vikings even got a first down. So I thought that was that was the mark of a really good team to me to show not just elevating your player who had a rough ending to it, but making it to where his mistake meant absolutely nothing. Yeah, and how you know rare is it that you don't see something like that come back, you know, to Biden team? Like I think that was kind of a feel good moment, you know, that they didn't have to worry about that, and that you know when you erase that memory. You just look at the dominance that they had other than that. Right. And I mean, and how great of a feeling is that for Darius Slayton, who I would expect for him to come out and have a good next game because he's going to have the motivation to want to play better, but he's not going to have this hanging over his head that it did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, Joe, speaking of not doing anything wrong, how about the 49ers and Brock Purdy? Um, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the draft. Someone who, you know, we knew he was a good quarterback at Iowa State, but we honestly never thought he'd play in the NFL. I n- never even thought of him as someone that I would have even considered drafting. Yet he's having just an incredible run in his first six games as the 49ers starting quarterback. I saw entering the playoff game, he had four more touchdown passes than the next closest 49er great um, in their first six games as a starting quarterback. I think he had 11 to Steve Young's seven, which – you know, to even be in the same sentence as Stephen uh, as Steve Young with Brock Purdy is just a crazy thought. And what does he do in the playoffs? Uh, Ho hum, he just throws for four touchdown passes, over three hundred yards, no picks. I think he runs for about seventy and another touchdown. I mean, this is just insane how good he's playing right now. Yeah, he's on another level, and the team got better once he became the starter. It looked like he was going to be the liability, but he's just made the team better. And they've got such a solid roster. I mean, their defense is allowing, I think I saw a stat, like less than 17 points per game. They're potentially historically good on defense with Bosa and company. And then their offense, just a great offensive line, plethora of just explosive playmakers that are versatile, can catch and run out of the backfield. I mean, to me, this team's as good as anybody in football. Yeah, Joe, they're going to be a really tough out in these playoffs. And, I mean, they showed it by – being really, I thought, uh, the one favored team over the weekend, they did what we thought they would do. They covered the spread. They ended up winning by 18 points in a game that was never even close. And meanwhile, a lot of these other teams that were big-time favorites, the Bengals, the Bills, um, the Vikings, of course, losing, they struggled. But the Vikings, but the 49, the 49ers took care of business, though. But they really did, and, you know, they look dominant, and now we've got just a really cool matchup, a rematch of last year's uh, playoff game with the Cowboys. That's right. And speaking of dominating, how about the way the Cowboys dispatched of Tom Brady in the playoffs? I think uh, you may have picked the Cowboys last week. Uh, I know I picked the Bucks straight up in that game. Like you expected a good game. You know, I, I really thought that it was going to be another one of those one-possession games where – the Bucs are not the team that's better, but they just kind of hang around, hang around. 
and they get that one last possession and Brady goes out and puts the dagger in. But this was a game that was not a no contest in the beginning. I mean, they shut out Brady in the first half, which it was the first time he had been shut out in a playoff game since his very first playoff game back in 2000, 2001, the tuck, the infamous tuck rule game against the Raiders, uh, which, of course, that game was in snow, so we can forgive uh, Captain America for that one. This was one where he was never – he had a bad first half. Um, he couldn't get in, he couldn't get connected with Mike Evans in the first half that was just, you know, completely shut down. And by the time they started scoring in the second half, they were out of the game and making matters worse. That was with, um, that was with the, the Cowboys, uh, extra field goal kicker missing four extra points, which I've never seen that before in my entire life. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's probably reports on it, but is he still their kicker? Did they cut him after that game? They signed another kicker uh, for depth. I, I did see that today. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the kind of thing, like, the NFL is really tough on kickers. You can have one bad game, and it doesn't matter if they drafted you, if they paid money for you, they'll get rid of you. I mean, Daniel Carlson, Legatron, he got drafted, like, I think the highest a kicker had ever gotten drafted – uh, out of Auburn going to Minnesota in the fourth round, he had a bad game where he missed three field goals and they cut him. I mean, and now the Raiders has been just to the, the, the delight of the Raiders. The Vikings made that, you know, quick judgment move because uh, Carlson's gone to the Pro Bowl two years in a row. But that's the kind of thing that can happen. And that wasn't even in a playoff game. That was like his first game in the regular season. So to me, I don't see how you could, you could hold on to a kicker that missed four extra points. Yeah, that was bizarre how that played out. I um, still cannot believe that either. The way I look at the game, Dan, I guess just two overall thoughts on the Dallas side, just so impressed with how they played, um, with how their defense played, how Dak Prescott played, and maybe more pressure on him than any game in his career, and he performed excellent. And you know, now I think that they set up to be a very intriguing matchup against San Francisco this week um, with kind of the rivalry aspect of that as well. And then on the Tampa Bay side, I think that this was exhibit A of a case study of their entire season with how up and down they were and inconsistent. All year long, they had issues with their offensive line. They never could have enough time for Brady to throw downfield. It seemed like they had to work for everything. It seemed like the rhythm with in chemistry with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin was never as good as it was the previous two years, which is kind of puzzling in Tampa. They played together, won a Super Bowl together. And I feel like a lot of it is offensive line woes. And I think they really missed Bruce Arians this year um, with the uh, offensive game plan. Yeah, I think that's definitely the point. I mean, we talked about it earlier with defensive coaches in the NFL seeming like not having the, the same level of success. Todd Bowles being a defensive guy. You look at what happened with the Bucks this year, I'm sure he's going to be someone that he may or may not get retained, but he's going to have some heavy conversations during the offseason. Yeah, I think so. I think if he stays, you know, you might see a coordinator change, um, you know, possible. Oh, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was all levels of their offense. Uh, they weren't be able to connect with their superstars and Godwin and, of course, uh, Mike Evans. But they also were having a lot of trouble running the ball. I mean, I think Fournette had had a couple good years in a row, and he took some serious steps back this season and wasn't quite the the running back that we had seen. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And so, you know, that was a huge issue for them. They also missed um, Gronkowski in the red zone. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what Brady does. We'll have plenty of time all offseason, you know, to, to talk about what he's going to do next. But I, I do think you were talking about Daniel Carlson. I do think that um, offensively, schematically, the Raiders would be an interesting fit if he wanted to come back one more season. Hmm, that would be interesting right there. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, would, that would be a fascinating story right there. And, you know, I, I was interested in thinking about Gronkowski with the box. It seems like two years ago when they had the Super Bowl run, they had just an embarrassment of wealth at the tight end position. You had Gronkowski, you had Cameron Brait, you had O.J. Howard. I mean, Mike Evans is essentially a tight end. He's just someone that is a receiver, you know, but he plays a lot like a tight end. And then suddenly you lose Gronkowski, you trade away O.J. Howard, and now they've got one of the weaker tight end groups in the NFL, and it's been kind of funny how that's flipped on its head. Yeah, it really is. I mean, they were down to like kind of Kate Odson. And you know, I really think that you, know, you saw the red zone interception that he threw um, early in the game. And I feel like, you know, part of that is a microcosm of just not having, you know, great options to throw to there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's where the tight ends come in the best is in the red zone. That's why I was saying that, you know, if you weren't going to run Tyler Hundley and you were the Ravens, throw it to Mark Andrews, who had been a complete matchup nightmare for the Bengals that entire game. I mean, this is the new wave of the world as the tight ends, and that's why if Brock Bowers isn't the number one overall pick in the draft, whatever GM is that has the number one pick should be kicked out of the league for lunacy. It seems like those tight ends you know, can carry the day. I mean, Travis Kelsey staying in Kansas City allowed Mahomes not to miss a beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that just shows you. I mean, hey, we're talking about Brock Purdy. Having George Kittles out there is making Brock Purdy's life a lot easier right now. That's true. I mean, but yeah, just um, really impressed by the Cowboys. The last thing I want to say about it um, was Dak Prescott. You were saying how this is an important game for him. I think it was an important game for his relationship with Jerry Jones because I saw all these stories out last week where uh, Dak Prescott was talking about how tough it is to potentially cancel a cruise that he had coming up the next week with a Disney the Disney cruise and how expensive a Disney cruise was and how expensive it was to cancel it. And all the while I'm sitting there being like, dude, you have a playoff game this week. So are you saying that you booked this with the thought that you either wouldn't make the playoffs or you wouldn't make it past the first round of the playoffs. And you know, Jerry Jones has his eyes and ears everywhere. And I'm like, so he knows now that you thought you weren't going to make it past the first week of the playoffs. And I kept thinking to myself, I was like, you know, he's been on thin ice a lot of times, I think, with Jerry Jones, with getting these huge contracts, not paying off on it. Uh, he better play well, and he did. So maybe that's something that he can use moving forward. Oh, yeah. Like, if, if they had lost the game, Dallas, they would have had some really significant conversations with both Prescott and Mike McCarthy about, you know, guys, we can't beat an 8-9 and nine team you know, the, the way this was set up. I just don't know if it's going to work out with this nucleus. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that would show you that the nucleus was was an error, even though you had someone that's been one of the highest passing quarterbacks in the NFL, a guy who's won a Super Bowl in the past, even though you and I think he's maybe the worst Super Bowl winning coach ever. Um, and, of course, Ezekiel Elliott and all the talent that they have. But now they get a chance to have a, you have the opportunity to take on the 49ers. And Joe, in wrapping up, 
all the games from last week. The last one I want to talk about is the the Bills and the Dolphins. And what I thought was the most disappointing performance by one of the elite teams that we had in the NFL. Uh, you and I both, both thought the Bills were going to flex. The Josh Allen was going to show, I'm ready to take that next step and maybe make the Super Bowl. And the defense was going to be a little bit better, especially taking on a Skylar Thompson, the third-string quarterback for the Dolphins. Instead, the Dolphins were in this game. You know, they the the what the Bills jumped out to a twenty-one to nothing lead, but then the Dolphins came back in and hung around and had multiple chances to tie or win the game at the end. And I just thought that was a very bad performance by a team that I thought was supposed to be elite. Yeah, it, it definitely makes you question their chances to win the AFC and make it to the Super Bowl because coming into the year they were a Super Bowl or bust contender, and I think that. I will say, you know, Miami has two of the best receivers in football with Hill and Waddle Mm -hmm. in the numbers they put up this year. But still, you're right. You're dealing with um, a third-string quarterback, and you definitely at home expect to win more convincingly. And so I think that uh, Buffalo, they're going to have to kind of find themselves this week in preparation for uh, Cincinnati. Absolutely, because, I mean, not only are we talking about a third-string quarterback – we're talking about a Miami team, Miami having to go from the beautiful sunny shores of Miami Beach all the way up to the frigid north in Buffalo, where I think it's almost inhumane to make people play football in January, and where you have a fan base that prides themselves on being so tough that they attend outdoor games when they know that it's crazy and that it's terrible. And we saw this you know, recent um, nor'easter that had 50-mile-an-hour winds with floods and snow and where players had to walk to to practice because their cars were snowed in. And you'd think that this kind of environment, they'd be able to take, you know, have a very easy time with a team that's used to the kind of Miami weather. And I thought that was another element that made this even more embarrassing for the Bills. Mm-hmm. That, that's definitely a component as well. Yeah. So we'll see how they react, especially their defense who had a very poor game when they take on uh, the Bengals. And, Joe, in talking about next week's games, the Bengals and the Bills, probably the one I'm most excited for, and it's also my lock of the week. And I'll tell you why that is. We talked about the Bills' defense being really suspect last week. Meanwhile, the Bengals, their defense is the reason they won the game, while Joe, Bur- uh, while, while Joe Burrow had maybe one of the worst games we've seen him have in a while as a quarterback. I think he's going to be very motivated. I think Josh Allen and that offense is also going to be motivated knowing that they're going to have to pick up the tails of the defense. And I think this is going to be a score fest right here. Um, You know, I think that the Bills showed that even though uh, the Bengals have had a little bit of a rough offensive line, I don't see the Bills taking advantage of it with all the time that Skylar Thompson had to throw. Uh, Joe, the over-under right now is 48 points. I think this game's going to skyrocket over it. And I like the over maybe in a game that's something like, you know, even a 45-41 type affair. So I like the over and the Bills and the Bengals. It could be crazy. Like, it to me, it looks like one of those games that out of the four matchups, it has the chance to be, like, kind of similar to that epic, epic Chiefs-Bills divisional round game last year. Obviously, the Bills are hoping for a better result. And, you know, I think that, you think about this game being in Buffalo, you know, Cincinnati obviously, you know, thinks they could have beaten them two weeks ago. The game would be in Cincinnati. You know, if that had happened, obviously, you know, that game's not finished. But 
Um, Buffalo gets to host this game. So, you know, we'll see how the home field advantage plays out. Um, I am a little bit concerned about Allen um, turning the ball over a little bit against Miami. Um, he's not um, quite as hot as he was last year in the playoffs. But I do think, Dan, I'm going to give the edge to Buffalo at home. Um, I don't feel very confident about that pick. But I think that with some of the concerns about Cincinnati's offensive line depth heading into this game and with uh, Buffalo being at home, I think that they'll do enough to be able to pull this out. Yeah, Joe, this has been one that I've been really having a tough time with. Um, it's hard for me to have a lot of faith in the Bills after what I saw last week. Meanwhile, the Bengals, I mean, they escaped too. They should have lost to the Ravens. But the difference that I saw between these two teams with their with the games is I like teams that have defenses make plays to win football games. I didn't see the Bills do it. I saw the Bengals make the game-changing play that won them the game with the strip sack, the, the strip on the you know the quarterback sneak for a 99-yard touchdown. Um I think that it was a little bit of an aberration of, you know, the Bengals taking on a really great defensive line with the Ravens and one that knows them well. And I think Burrow is going to have a really good game this week. I love the way the Cincinnati Bengals defense is playing. And I think that the Bengals are going to get the upset on the road in what's going to be a really exciting game because I just don't see the Bills defense taking advantage of what is still glaring offensive line weaknesses. I just don't think they're good enough. Well, the subplot is the winner, you know, sets up a great quarterback matchup regardless of who it is. And I've said the last couple of years that I think that Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen is the new great quarterback rivalry in the NFL. But if Joe Burrow can pull a win like this off and get another AFC championship game against Patrick Mahomes, suddenly that might be the rivalry. Well, Joe, let's talk about this game, and if it even happens, uh, we have the Jags coming off their amazing comeback. They've won seven. They won, I think, they won eight games in a row. And of course, Kansas City's had a really good end of the season. Also, I think they've won their last six games. You have the Jags coming into Kansas City into Arrowhead Stadium, which is always a rough place to play. Uh, do you think that these these cardiac kids, the Jags, that seem to be a team of destiny? Are they going to be able to pull it off against the Chiefs? I think they're going to be able to make it really interesting, entertaining. Um, I think that they can cover in this game. I think they're going to approach this with a total free shot, um, not expected to be here. And I think that regardless, I heard somebody say this week, regardless of how the season ends at this point for Jacksonville, you're into the scene, uh, season meaning a meeting like when you're kind of, you know, talking about or debriefing how the season went, it's going to be positive. Oh, yeah. Just how positive is it going to be? Is it going to be positive talking about a deep, deep playoff berth or, you know, where they've reached at this point? So a lot of positives for Jacksonville. But ultimately, I think I like Kansas City in this game because first and foremost, I look at the fact that Patrick Mahomes in his career is 4-0 and in the divisional round. Hmm. Well, that's, that's definitely a good stat for him. Um, you know, Joe, this this uh this Jags team this year kind of reminds me of the Bengals team last year. Um, you know, they coming in with the second year of Burrow being a starting quarterback, he got injured in the first year, didn't quite achieve the expectations that they had. Their defense started playing really good. Um, 
and they barely made the playoffs last year and just kind of had some magic at the end of the year. They had to win a lot of games to get in, and they just won these close games. And I kind of got the weird feeling with the Jags. They have a little bit of what the Bengals had last year. Their comeback last week just blew my mind. I mean, it it was the most impressive comeback I'd seen since I was at Bryant-Denny Stadium when the 2010 Auburn team got down 24 to nothing against Alabama in the first half, and Cam brought him back. I just think there's something to that, and I know this is a crazy like left-field pick, but I think the Jags are going to pull the upset on this. Uh, I think that they're, you know, they're one of these teams' of destiny. They've won so many games in a row. They don't know that they're not supposed to win this game. And I think that you know they're going to kind of be like the Bengals last year. And I'm not necessarily saying they're going to go to the Super Bowl, but I think they have one more big upset in them. And I think this is going to be this week. That would really be uh, quite a story if they pull that off. Um, I, I do think you know they're going to play well and have their moments. I think if they can get it to the fourth quarter and it's a close game, you know that would put a lot of pressure on Kansas City because while they have a wide open championship window, also the last two years, you know they've lost in the playoffs. In, in kind of tough fashion. And so you got to think some of those passive demons could creep into Kansas City's mind in a close game. Also, without having Tyreek Hill, we'll see how they're performing in the playoffs without him. But I still – I like uh, Kansas City because of Mahomes' experience. Also, with Travis Kelsey and at home, I've, I've got to give them the edge. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a tough one. But I just – like I said, I think this Jags team's got something special – Joe, speaking of something special, the Giants showed it last week, and they're taking on the Eagles team that has Jalen Hurts returning from injury but not quite himself. What do you see about an upset special here with uh, the G-men going into Philadelphia? Yeah, I think I'm taking the upset with the Giants because, as I alluded to earlier, that win against Minnesota through New York, that felt like something more sustainable. That did not feel fluky to me. And that felt like the makings of a deep playoff run. And I think that with Jalen Hurts, you know, kind of banged up at the end of the season, they also had last week off. I think that Philadelphia is kind of coming into this, to this playoff game a little bit rusty. Um, I don't think they're quite in sync. And I think that the Giants are a team that is just peaking at the perfect time. And Joe, I'm in complete agreement. I also like the big upset here. The Giants are a team that's rounding into form. Daniel Jones is showing that he's not only a passer, he can run it too. And I just don't think that Hurts is quite there yet to, to win a playoff game. Um, the last one that we got to talk about, and we have just a short period of time to discuss it, Cowboys and 49ers. Let me know what do you think. You think Dak is going to be able to get the big upset against Brock Purdy and the boys? I don't see it. I don't see anybody right now in the NFC stopping the 49ers. I just think they're they're rolling to that degree. Yeah, Joe, I like I like the 49ers in this one. I think the Cowboys are gonna play inspired football, but I still think the 49ers are the best team in the NFL, the way their defense is playing, still at least maybe in the seven to ten point range. Yeah, I can see it being close. All right, Joe. And we'll be back next week to talk about these results. You can catch all our episodes on Spotify. You can like us on Twitter. And, of course, uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube page. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Jeff.